welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, happy Easter. Where I grew up, we'd have been saying, Christ is risen. And you'll be responding, he is risen indeed. Absolutely. Do you know what? I learned something this Lent, that in the Anglican Church, you're not allowed to say Alleluia for the whole of Lent. And you're supposed to keep it until Easter Sunday. My daughter's dating someone in the Anglican Church, and she's learning lots and reminding me of my heritage, which is lovely. (laughs) So, happy Easter. It's great to be with you this Easter Sunday. And I just love the feeling that we're joining with tens of millions of people all around the world, in fact hundreds of millions of people, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, the central event of our Christian faith. No other event has impacted the world so much as the resurrection of Jesus, and so it's only fitting that we talk this morning about Jesus' resurrection. Do you know, Jesus, in his entire lifetime, never traveled more than 100 miles from his home. And yet, we find followers of Jesus in every single country and every region of our planet. How in the world did 12 fishermen and tax collectors and farmers become a movement where now one in four people on our planet identify as Christian? Well, the answer is the resurrection, the story of the first Easter. So today we're going to take a quick look at the evidence for the resurrection and the impact of the resurrection. And I want us to have the opportunity to commit our lives to Jesus, maybe for the first time. But maybe if you've done that many times before, it's a moment for a recommitment to follow this most amazing man. So there are certain core facts around Easter which are indisputed. Jesus was crucified and buried. Three days after his death, his body went missing. There were reported appearances of Jesus over the course of the next 40 days, both to believers and to unbelievers. And the individuals that saw him were transformed by the appearances. And they began to proclaim Christ's resurrection, even to the point of being martyred for their proclamations. And those core facts are not disputed by any educated historian of the period, secular or religious. But the explanation does need a little bit more thought and discussion. Peter May, in his book, The Search for God, put it really well. He said this, the resurrection of Christ is intrinsically improbable. Dead people don't rise. That surely is the universal experience of humanity. So from the outset, the Christian claim appears dead in the water. The problem is that all other attempts to explain away the known facts of history also lie dead in the water. So the resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, paradigm-shattering, horribly inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss fact. It was practical, it was real, it was a we've-touched-Jesus fact. Now, we tend to live in our current society in the realm of likes on Facebook and Instagram, but this isn't a like or dislike conversation. This really is a true or false conversation. The author Tim Keller captures the heart of the questions. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Now, the evidence for the resurrection groups under lots of different headings, and you can read them on the screens, I think. Yeah, there we go, all six. Now, I'm not going to cover that whole list, but I'm going to look at a few of those points. So the first one I want to look at just briefly is the eyewitness accounts. You know, the Gospels were written within a generation of the events themselves. They were all written before 70 AD, and that's not disputed by serious historians. The fact that the early writings were written so close to the actual time of Jesus' death supports the idea of their reliability and their authenticity and their accuracy. And we encounter an honesty in the accounts of Jesus' death that is not the stuff of legends written decades later. We see believers leaving Jerusalem disheartened. We see people returning to their former careers. We see Thomas utterly skeptical. We see a bunch of confused disciples. And from our reading today, we hear that the initial witnesses to the empty tomb were women. Now, at that time, the testimony of women was devalued in the world of the first century. Women's testimony wasn't credible in court. Women weren't widely listened to. So if you were wanting to beef up a story, if you were wanting to create some kind of narrative that would, in your mind, you know, go forward for years to come, you would be adding more men into that story because men were reliable witnesses. And then we're told that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Well, it would be 515 if you include the disciples, over a period of 40 days. The methodical Dr. Luke records that Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And we see names and we see details. People like Cleopas. Why was only Cleopas's name mentioned and not all the other disciples? Why the names of the women? Joanna, Mary, the son of James. Well, in historical literature, when names are mentioned based on eyewitness testimony, it's like footnotes that you get in, in textbooks these days. You know, when you go to a footnote, you can look it up and you can go and you can find out who actually said that or you can get some extra information. Well, when names are mentioned in the Gospels, it's like you can go and talk to those people. The implication that they were alive, they were there, they could be cross-examined. And that's why the Gospel writers included names. Then the empty tomb. Do you know, if the resurrection had been a deception, the preaching of the apostles wouldn't have lasted a week. The, the authorities could have settled that rumor instantly by producing a body. They never did. They never could. There are other theories banding around, like the disciples stole the body of Jesus, that the tomb was empty because the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Maybe Jesus didn't die, he just fainted. There are compelling answers to all those old and frankly quite tired objections. Like the Romans were expert at crucifying people. They knew what they were doing and they knew when someone was dead. I came across a quote by Charles Colson. He was um, a presidential advisor to Richard Nixon. And he said this, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate, the Watergate scandal proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They wouldn't have endured that were it not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. 
You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I thought that was fantastic. And then the worship of Jesus. Jewish people were the last people on the face of the earth to be open to the idea that a human being could be God. They were so reverent that they wouldn't even say the name of God out loud. For a Jew, it was absolute blasphemy to propose that any human should be worshipped. And then literally overnight, hundreds and then thousands of Jews began worshipping Jesus as God. Something had rocked their world. Something had shattered their paradigm. And that monumental change required an explanation. They had seen Jesus. The resurrection makes sense of the evidence. Now, many people over the years have looked at the evidence. They've put on their intellectual bright minds and they've attempted to, they're like, I'm going to sort this out once and for all. Lee Strobel was a New York lawyer who set out to disprove the resurrection. But you know, the majority of people who set out to disprove the resurrection, and they look hard at all the evidence, only succeed in convincing themselves of its truth. Lee Strobel wrote a book, The Case for Christ, which is well worth a read, in which he explains his journey and how he, having looked at all the evidence, came to the indisputable truth that Jesus was God. Before we look to the impact of the resurrection, I want to tell you a story. In 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, many people feared that his death and the unrest that followed would undo the civil rights movement in the US. Dr. King's funeral was a pivotal event, and one of the men who spoke at the funeral was a man called James Bevel. And we've got a picture there. This is what he said. You have heard that our leader is dead. That rumor is false. Our leader is not dead. This is at Martin Luther King's funeral, remember. Our leader was not Martin Luther King. Our leader is the one who led Moses out of Egypt. Our leader is the one who went down with Daniel into the lion's den. Our leader is the one who walked out of the grave on that Easter Sunday morning. Our leader neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our leader cannot be put in jail. Our leader is still on the job. Our leader is not dead. Is this not working? Okay. And that, friends, is the Easter message. Our leader is not dead. He lives. Jesus lives today. So if Jesus is not raised from the dead, it's game over. But if he has been, it's game on for us. And so what is the impact for us because of the resurrection? Well, firstly, we can be free from fear. Pope Benedict said, Jesus' victory over death transforms our lives. It frees them from fear, gives them firm hope, and infuses them with something that provides existence with full meaning, the love of God. So what does it really mean to us that Jesus died and was raised from the dead? Well, it means that we don't have to worry or wonder about our eternal destiny anymore. We are all going to die. We are all going to experience death, but we can experience life after death by trusting in Jesus to be our saviour. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. 
So the resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for everyone who trusts in him. Death is no longer a prison. Death is a passage into God's presence. And we've seen Jesus deliver so many people from fear. Fear of death is the fear beneath all other fears because it's the ultimate loss, isn't it? And if Jesus has defeated the fear of death, whatever we fear, whatever fears, whatever anxieties, whatever is worrying you, Jesus can overcome that. And you only need to talk to some members of our Sozo team who have walked people through dealing with all kinds of different fears. Some of our ministry team, our staff, talk to people who Jesus has delivered from fears. He's doing it all the time. Jesus loves to deliver us from fear. Then we receive strength in trials. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for a worldview that gives a new perspective to our life. Josh McDowell said, no matter how devastating our struggles, our disappointments and our troubles, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. We will all have pains and trials in life. We'll have the joy of answered prayer. We'll have the mystery of unanswered prayer. But in it all, we have the comfort and the confidence that God is present and God is compassionate. Everything we face, he's faced. So he can empathize with us and strengthen us in all our trials. In the most brutal, bleak and dark of times, we can be strengthened because God is not distant. He's not indifferent to your pain. And if that just kind of strikes a chord with you and you'd love someone to pray with you at the end of the service, we would love to do that. Then we get hope from the fu- hope for the future. N.T. Wright said, hope is what you get when you realize a different worldview is possible. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus and now you're invited to belong to it. Jesus is like a prototype for a new kind of body and a new kind of life. It's not the reviving of an old body or life. It's a resurrection, a new creation. Jesus is recognizable, but different. I was trying to get my head around this, trying to understand what Jesus's new body looked like after his resurrection. And the only thing that we could come up with would be like, if you drove your old car to the garage for a service for like a massive overhaul, and you, you took your old petrol car in there, and it comes out as a swanky electric motor. It's recognizable as your car, but it's also completely different. It functions differently. And that is what happened to Jesus's resurrection body. He had a whole new design, a new concept of a body. It was the same, people could recognize him, but it was different. He could eat, but he could walk through walls. Like his body wasn't bound by the normal limitations of our fleshly bodies. And we're meant to be like that. We're meant to be recognizable but different because we have a whole new life on offer. So Jesus' resurrection was the first act of a new creation. It was a sign pointing to what was going to come next for people that trust in Jesus. Jesus is like the prototype. He is gonna, God is going to do to the whole of creation what he did first to Jesus' body. In the fall, back in the Garden of Eden, all of creation was infected by death and decay, but the cure has begun with the death and resurrection of Christ. And here's the thing. God starts this work of new creation in us 
as we choose to trust Jesus. It's a spiritual new creation first. We become friends of God, adopted into his family, and the new creation work that Jesus starts in our body when we trust him will be completed when Jesus returns. Then we have the power to change. The minute we decide to receive Jesus as our saviour, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It's the power of the resurrection, that same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8 in the New Living Translation, verse 11, says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to you by the same Spirit living within you. So the power to change is available for anyone who trusts Jesus. People have described of their whole sense of being changes when they make that decision. They've come alive. They say, I feel lighter on the inside. Things are different. I know God is real and I can know that he's with me. People experience transformation, forgiveness, freedom from fear, peace and a new perspective because our past does not need to dictate our future. God's power can be at work in our life as we trust and follow Jesus to deal with our past, our problems and our pain. And then lastly, friendship with God. The main impact of the resurrection is that everything that's ever blocked us from friendship with God has been dealt with by Jesus. The final words on the cross that Jesus uttered were, it is finished. John 19 verse 30 says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Do you know, Last words have power and often deep meaning and significance. If any, like me, if any of you have ever been at the side of a precious friend or family member who was whispering final words in their last moments on earth, you know the incredible heart connection that they hold for you personally. We find ourselves clinging to those words as we think about a loved one that's passed away. We treasure what they said. We remember them. And I am in no doubt that Jesus knew what his last words needed to be. He knew that the power would come from those last words. He knew that the power would be there for generations to come. The Greek words which are translated, it is finished, it's an accounting term. It means paid in full. And when Jesus said those words, he was declaring that the debt owed to his father was wiped away completely and forever. Not that Jesus wiped away any debt that he owed to the Father, rather he eliminated the debt owed by the entirety of mankind, the debt of sin. Hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross, the prophet Isaiah saw through history ahead to what Jesus would do. And he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So at the cross, we see this great exchange taking place. It's where Jesus descended to the depths so that we could ascend to the heights. It's where Jesus, out of love, became everything that we human beings are. Guilty, weak, separated from God, subject to death, in order that we may, if we choose, share in his innocence, his power, his fellowship with God, and his life. Jesus' hands were pierced with nails so that your name could be written in the palm of his hand. Jesus was stripped and beaten so that you might be clothed in the righteousness of God. 
Jesus was given a crown of thorns and you get a crown of righteousness. Jesus was plunged into darkness so that you could walk in the light of God. He was cut off so that you could be brought home. He was rejected so that you could be accepted by God. He faced death so that you could come alive to God. And today, Easter Day, is an opportunity that we have again to open our hearts to Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus to be your Lord, we want to give you that opportunity because it really is the most life-changing decision that you could ever make. And in a moment, we're going to have um, a song if the band wants to come back. And we, I'm going to lead in a prayer and you have the chance to respond to Jesus in that moment. But there's also this there's freedom from fear, there's strength in trials, there's hope for the future, there's power to change and friendship with God available to every one of us. Whether you've said that prayer once, twice or a million times, there's always a newness of freshness, there's always more for us in our relationship with Jesus. So I would invite you again on Easter Sunday, sometimes these moments are really precious, to just say, Jesus, again, I want to come to you. I want to commit my life to following you afresh. So I can I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, just have some time to worship again. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.